Building Years Podcast with Justin Alexio and Jeremiah Watkins. New episodes every Wednesday. Welcome to the show. What's going on, builders? This is Jeremiah Watkins. How you doing? Oh, you've adopted it. I adopted it every once in a while. It's Justin Alexia. It's Friday. Woo! Yeah, we're very excited, uh, and we have a uh, we have a mutual friend in the house today. Oh, Chad Damiani. Welcome to the program, Chad. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. What's going on, dude? It's early. It's the earliest we've ever done this podcast. Yeah, uh, inside the podcast studio, it's not really Friday when we're <laughs> recording this. <laughs> Justin is uh, about to go out of town, uh, or he is. I'm out of town actually right now while this podcast. We're both out of town. We're both out of town. Hey, where are we? And where I'm are strangely we? here. <laughs> <laughs> Chad's just alone in my new apartment. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so welcome. Thanks for doing it. Well, thank you. And at some point, I just want I because I was listening. I want to tell you guys how I remember meeting you two. All as right. a team for the first time. Oh, we're we're getting into that. this. Yeah. So uh, I, this is the one thing in my car. I was like, oh, I forgot. That made me laugh so hard. So you guys uh, were hosting uh, Fusion Saturdays at the Ariel <laughs> Live. Great start already. <laughs> and this was this was one of those shows where you're like, oh, that show is always fun, but like you never know what you're going to get because stand-up and improv mixed together. And yeah. also it's that the club under the room. It was a nightclub, and also the, the fire engines, <laughs> and just yep. just some woman yelling about breaking her heel outside in the street, and um, so I'd never done the show before, and uh, but I knew Justin, and I liked Justin. I haven't met Jeremiah, and uh, so Justin goes up, and basically the way it worked was uh, stand up improv, stand up improv, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so Justin goes up, and you know he's basically doing is like creepy love sick, <laughs> <laughs> like what he does really well, yeah. and, uh, and, and, and he's and he's doing really well, but he's doing mad crowd work, like. I remember there was a girl, I'm going to give her a name, uh, this girl Susan Sassy was in the audience. <laughs> and Justin's like literally like, what should I do to meet a girl? What am I doing wrong? And he basically gets her to really start talking to him during the set. And it's funny. So I don't think she went to comedy clubs very often. She was one of the improvisers yeah. that was there. So then Jeremiah comes up. And I'd never met Jeremiah before. And Jeremiah's doing more like a traditional, like just doing And all of a sudden, Susan just starts talking. <laughs> To oh, Jeremiah, no, is this and the- Jeremiah's like, "Don't you talk, a, don't you talk to him." I said, but I laughed so hard because you could see she was so like confused because she's like, "But that other one person on stage wanted to know." And man, me, uh, me and a guy named Matt were there. This guy Matt Mazzani, and we were in tears. Like we laughed. I couldn't stop laughing. It was such a gen. She was genuinely like looking at the crowd, like, "What did I?" I was helping like I was helping with the other guy. And then Jeremiah like so easily goes, so anyway, I was at the table. Like he just, he totally destroys her and then just goes right back into it. I was like, these guys are interesting. Uh, I think that's the set that I made her cry on accident. Yes. Uh, Because um, what was happening, in my defense, it was a little bit more than talking. She She started, so Justin basically trained her to talk. Yes, you, right? So so whenever I go up there, I'm like, oh, this is a freaking mess for me. And I'm like, all right. The first time I was like, all right, yeah, like, stop talking, blah, blah. And then she like, then she started like heckling. She like liked the attention of the room. And then I'm like, listen, lady, this yeah. is my one time of the week. Blah, blah, oh, blah. Yeah. Oh, we had a huge meltdown. <laughs> oh, it yeah. was amazing. I, and I laughed so, I mean, just like, it was one of those great belly, like, 
Because you saw, like you said, you saw the evolution oh, yeah. of <laughs> Justin basically had created a mo- an audience monster. Oh, yeah. And it was all Justin's fault. <laughs> yeah. Because she, she wasn't giving it up, if you remember, in his set. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, seriously. No, please help, well, help me. me. What should I do? <laughs> and then you go up, and I do remember exactly what you're saying. You're uh, like, yeah. okay. And finally, she just was like so involved. You're like, this is it. And man, I, we just saw it coming. And, uh, and I loved it, man. It was because me. That's why I go. Like, <laughs> I want to see that every night. In a just something happened that freaks me out. It was great. Well, I'm glad that that was my first introduction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's crazy. What a great night that was. Oh man, that was a, a what a fun fun. Cra- I I apologized after. I like went downstairs in the lobby, like because she was supposed to go up with her team, and she said that she was too. Nervous too. She's like a really sweet, yeah, kind of like legitimately sweet, yeah. So she, yeah, I remember. And I don't want to do that. I didn't want to like no. prevent people from performing. And I, I said, uh. like, I told Justin, um, <laughs> we discussed this like on the podcast, like how many ever years ago that was, uh, where I heard uh, like that window that's open right near the loft. Right. I was standing by that, and all her and her friends were talking crap on me. And it was like oh. an episode of a sitcom where it's like you pan up and you just see me listening. <laughs> and I walked down and I literally heard, shh, here he, he's coming. Oh, <laughs> so great. I didn't know that. I, like, hit all so the it tropes. kept going. So this amazing going. night kept going. Yeah. And they're just like, that guy's a dick. You were, you were just trying to have a good time. Blah, uh. blah. And then I was like, listen, I really want to apologize. It got out of hand. So great. Yeah. And yeah. And we're good now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how long have you been uh, in the improv community, Chad? You know, I was just talking to someone about this. It's been about, it's coming on six years, but like a lot of people for the first two, it was like a class and then two months. Yeah. Uh, and, and it wasn't until I was like in a 301 that I started. So yeah, I think I've been doing it for serious, um, like four and a half years. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you've been out here how long? I've been out here. Almost 12 years, soon to be 12 years. And coming from, where you come from? I came from Philadelphia, but I've been all over. Uh, I lived in New York for a spell, mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, I came out here about two years after I'd worked in professional wrestling. Yeah, you have wrestling. I always, oh, <laughs> I always, yeah. I'm we like, gotta oh, all right, I got to say that. Um, I'd, so for five years, I had just been traveling with pro wrestling, and uh, then that company was bought by Vince McMahon. What mm-hmm. were you doing for them? I wasn't uh, like a sixth string announcer. Um, <laughs> so what had happened was, this is, I was. Do you remember hotlines? They were big in the nineties, like yeah, dollar ninety nine a minute. Oh yeah, call this number. Well, what had happened was I was in New York and I'd met guys in Atlanta doing another job that worked for WCW, and they had this angle called the New World Order NWO. Oh yeah, uh, it's great. <laughs> it was one of the best angles in the history of wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. So they were monetizing it every way possible, and one of the ways was they would have like Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, that like the stars, Hulk Hogan. They were supposed to record a hotline message every day. These guys <laughs> wanted nothing to do with it. So my friend was like, "Listen, um, I was told that for legal reasons, I need to have a backup." So if you call this number at midnight and there's no message, new message, if you record a 10-minute message, we'll give you $150. Oh, man. And, man, remember, this is like 1996. That's a lot of money. Oh, and I was, living, I was living in a studio apartment with another gorilla-sized man. <laughs> and I was just like, what? I have to work all week for that. And they were like, don't get too excited. This might happen once a month. We've been These guys promise. And they never record. I was like rolling in it. And... um. And what we ended up doing was, this is really my first foray into improv, was 
I didn't have any information. You know, could you imagine how upset you'd be? You call to hear like Hulk Hogan and it's me. Like it's just some guy, <laughs> some kid. And uh, so what I do was I had my buddy J.P. Lavin, who's my writing partner still. And then Mark Neveldine, who actually was one of the directors of Crank, who was just like a <laughs> knucklehead back then. And we would do these improvised wrestling shows where I'd play the announcer and then they'd play like a litany of characters. But all we would do is make fun of the show. Like... There was a guy named Fit Finley who was the Belfast Bruiser. So yeah. we had unfit Finley. And like basically he started to do a promo and then he'd just be like, huh? and I'll tell you another thing. I'd be like, Fit, you want to take a second? No, no, I'm going to tell you. So we would just do 10 minutes of bits. And I'd get the money and it was great. And like I would, I would spring for weed. I was like the nicest guy. <laughs> what I didn't know was when that guy would check the message in Atlanta the next morning, he was like, oh, this is funny. They're making fun of the show. And slowly but surely, I had built like a following in the office where like 30 or 40 people would go into the conference room during coffee and they'd play my messages. Wow. I had no idea. I'm just as not trying to write plays in New York, failing yeah. miserably. <laughs> so I guess I have to tell how it happened. So um, they give me a call. They're like, hey, you want to make 500 bucks? Um, if you take the train to Boston, we're going to do, and this is aging myself, an internet paper listen. <laughs> So it was the first ever internet paper listen where this is because you know we're still on modems at this point, right? And uh, so basically they were gonna have a skeleton crew. It was cheaper to have me take the train up, and I was just gonna run cable and just be like whatever whatever they wanted. We get up there, um, it's the sold out Boston Garden, and like two minutes before the show starts, they're like Gene Okerlund had got food poisoning. He ate a, he ate like a he ate a bad chicken focaccio sandwich at the Marriott. I remember because I, you know, I remember every detail. detail yeah. I remember every detail of this day. So chicken I was like, sandwich. Yeah. and and Gene's like one of this like never misses any like he's just a pro. Yeah. And uh, so I was like, wow, it sucks for you guys. And they're like, from a movie, you're the only person <laughs> here with any announcing experience. I'm like, I don't have any. I never at the garden. At the Boston Garden, and it's sold oh, out because it was at the height of this angle. And <laughs> I think the, the, the main event was uh, The Outsiders versus Lex Luger and Randy Savage in a cage. Oh, yes. And uh, it was amazing. So they're like, you've got to go out and do the show. I was like, what are you talking about? So like, literally, they just push me out, and now I'm walking down the walkway, sold out. No one, I'm just, I walk up to the, there's a table right next to the ring, and there's a guy named Mark Madden who's the color guy, and he's this real boisterous, blowhard sports uh, radio host from Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and I sit down and he's just like do you curse on this? And yeah, say whatever uh, you want. And he's just like who the fuck are you? <laughs> like, and he's got this super deep voice and I'm like I'm announcing like I couldn't even say like I'm announcing this now like I just couldn't even speak and he's like what? So I put the headset on he's like what's going on? And then finally they're like just go with it Mark and so we start the show it's like immediately starting the show I've never I don't watch sports I of course watched a ton of wrestling so I'm out there and I'm just flailing <laughs> so i just about halfway through the first match i'm like you know i'm gonna do what i always do on that i'm just gonna make fun of everything yeah so i remember specifically one thing that really um greg the hammer valentine was still wrestling it was like but he had to be like 50 and i just talked for like 10 minutes about how old <laughs> his naked colored tights were and how boy i bet it looks like he's naked from i bet it looks like he's naked from the stands and mark's like what are you doing so he's kind of playing into it like you're the worst announcer ever as I'm doing it, unbeknownst to me, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are listening backstage. And they're like smart asses, like the biggest smart asses. And they think it's hilarious. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I hear their voices. And they're now doing it with me. They're like, yeah, Greg Valentine. Like, what kind of Valentine is that? And I'm like, oh, my God. And so then we proceeded to just make fun of the show. 
for three hours. <laughs> and then they finally came out for the, the main event. And they're like high-fiving me. So now people are like, boo, who's that piece of shit? Right? Because they're heels. And then at the end, they like they screw over uh, Savage and Luger. And they're getting rained down because there was the heat was unbelievable for these guys. And they're, they, they're getting like sodas. And I remember someone threw curly fries at Nash. And he grabbed them. He started eating them. And then he goes over and he feeds me a curly fry. And I'm just like, and I was like, this is the greatest moment of my life. And I left there thinking nothing. I was thinking, this is a great story. Yeah. That was like, what a great adventure. And then um, I got a call two days later. And they're like, we want you to fly to Tampa. We want to talk about giving you a job. Because these two had gone back to Eric Bischoff. And we're like, it's so funny now because it's not who I ever was. Like, this kid's cool. This kid's dangerous. I was just an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I flew in. I didn't really know what was going to go on. They just showed, they're like, here's a contract. for. Tw- it was more money than, I c- in one month, it was more money than I had made in like three. And I never had made a lot of money. So I should <laughs> very clarify. Yeah. Just for me at the time, they're like, we want you, we're going to put you on the internet broadcast. We're going to have you do direct TV. We're going to train you. And there was no like, the announcers that were in place weren't going anywhere. It would have been decades, but like I was going to be that guy that yeah. down the road, maybe when I was my age, would kind of inherit. So it was really cool. It was five years of that, you know, and uh, I just the best time ever, you know, just crazy. That's so great. What made you uh, uh, want to get out of that business? Well, that I should say I was ready to leave. You're ready to leave. But they did get spot and we all got fired on air gotcha <laughs> on air? yeah can we, can we talk about that or sure that? it was um so things had been bad for about a year and a half like we had gone from like destroying vince and like just having the best shows and they just started making better shows and they were better run and it was like an, it was the classic uh you know insane asylum the patients running things like, yeah you know vince that's his money but with us, we just had all this Turner money. We're like just throwing it around. And we, we went from like making $20 million profit in one year to losing 30 the next. Like, <laughs> yeah, just like, just put that math. That <laughs> oh, means it's like, insane. And, uh, and the shows became, I remember I used to love so much. See, for me, wrestling was always about comedy. Like, my fondest wrestling memories are like watching these shows and just like glow. And, and so when the shows were bad at first, I loved it. Because I would sell it like it was great and thinking like, oh, this is so funny. But eventually it's like, oh, I'm part of this shit show. I'm on the bus. <laughs> you know, and, and we got to, I remember there was a moment where I was calling a match and it was uh, Booker T, who was a time G.I. bro, who would come like rappel to the ring dressed like G.I. <laughs> Joe. And he was either tagging or fighting Mike Awesome, who had been this huge star in Japan, but now he was Mike Awesome, the fat chick thriller, who used to come in a psychedelic bus with overweight women hanging out the windows. And I'm just like, my life is garbage. Like, I can't pretend anymore that this is this funny wink. And so I was ready, like, oh, what am, how am I going to transition out of this world? But then what happened was things got so bad, and it was like AOL had bought Turner, brought Time Warner Turner, and it was like they were cutting everything. And I decided not to go to a show in Panama City. I was just over it. And they just wanted me to go take pictures and do stuff. And I'm watching the show, and all of a sudden, it was the first time ever and since that two networks that were not affiliated had a simulcast. Vince McMahon comes up on our screen in the show. (laughs) But he's also doing it from Raw, because they ran at the same time. So it's on Raw, too. And basically, he announces that he's bought the WCW, which was true. And then he's like, you're all fired. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. But then at the end of the show, his son Shane comes out and goes in some 
I don't know how the business works on this, but he's like, I actually bought WCW, and we're going to keep it going, Dad. <laughs> and I'm going up against you. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is the greatest angle ever. It's father versus son. But I think it's totally an angle. Next morning, <laughs> 9 a.m., my phone rings, and uh, I was not an early riser. It's this, uh, this guy I knew from the office, and I'm like, Aaron, holy crap. How'd you guys keep that under your hat? What a show. And he's like, yeah, it was great, huh? So anyway, your severance package. I'm like, what? Oh. He's like, that was a binding termination. When he said we were fired on the air, he had actually fired everyone. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. So not just for the show, but <laughs> yeah. for this was the pretty much the most reality you can get. Yeah. <laughs> and that was wrestling. wrestling. It was it was like that was wrestling all the time. Anytime you thought something was fake, it was real. And anytime yeah. you thought something was real, it was fake. And uh but I went to a huge funk after that. Like even though I wanted out, it was like that was my identity. Yeah, you were pushed out. Yeah, like, uh, and and it's you, like the girl that you are like considering breaking up with, but then she breaks up with you, and you're like, wait, can't we just stay yeah. together? <laughs> Hold on a second. Yeah. I wasn't quite ready. <laughs> that we're going on vacation this summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, and uh, and I ended up. It was tough. Like I one, I just had like a, a little period where I was like, well, this is great. This is what I wanted, but I'd like spent money on shit. You know, like I had a condo in Philadelphia, and I'd. And I ended up working like a series of just the most humiliating jobs. I worked on a show that to this day is the worst show that I have ever seen. <laughs> and I wrote it. And it was called Thunderbox. And it was this boxing promotion that wanted to take the wrestling model but use it for real boxing, which doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and and like we would write these interstitials, but we didn't know how things were going to end or how who was going to win or lose. And it was like, first we were writing something that was just bad. But then... They they got wind that BET was interested in it, so then they brought in um, these two writers, Tony and Lori, who were these uh, two black writers, nice people, but they're like, we've brought them in to go through your scripts and make them more urban, and we're oh, like, let's no. just start over. We're like, let's just the four of us. No, 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 it's fine. And then the script, these scripts, and I th I think there's still clips on YouTube of this disaster of a show. <laughs> they're just every offensive stereotype you can think of. <laughs> And like this was this is how conversations would go, and I felt bad because Tony actually went on to work on some sitcoms, and Lori's a really talented ad copywriter, so he was like mm -hmm. nicest. Uh, we would sit there, and I'd be like, and we'd sit, and I'd be like, okay, so this line is like, oh, you think you're funny, huh? And then Tony'd be like, all right, so change that to you got jokes. I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, whatever you say, and like he was just doing what he was supposed to do. So this all culminates, and we're going to be this big table read for all the BET executives, right? <laughs> so Tony gets fired because he just knew what bullshit this was, and he would, like, sleep during work. And so now we have this table read. We're like, all right, we're going to have Lori read all the scripts. Um, and then Lori calls us the morning of the table read, and she's like, she worked at Gray Advertising, and she's like, they found out. Like, we're like, what are you talking about? So she was working a full-time high-end advertising job and sneaking in <laughs> and writing during the day with us. Oh, wow. And she's like, I can't come. And we're like, what? So it's me and this guy, Jamie, two white guys. And we're like, we got to sell this black we gotta, scripts. Yeah, we got to sell these scripts. And then they were black. That, yeah. So I'm like, all right, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. So we sit down and it's like this big-ass Marvel tape. Like, it's just like out of a movie. And like, oh, it's like predominantly black executives, but a couple like white executives. And and we're sitting there, and so I just start reading the script, and there was a character named Roach. This is how, <laughs> it's the worst. I was so embarrassed with this script. And I just was like, oh, I'm an actor, you know? Like, I'm not really, but I'm like, so I was like, all right, everybody, let's check this out. You're watching Thunderbox. And I could feel the heated glare of Jamie. And then Jamie's turn, and he's playing Warty Mac, a pimp. It's the worst. And then Jamie's like, Slow your roll, Roach. And oh. he's doing a total white read. This goes on for two straight scripts. I re I'm just 
doubling down on being the characters and he's becoming more robotic yeah. and white. It's the most, and we're just like, neither of us are willing to give, give in. And uh, so finally we take a break and it's silence for two scripts. Silence at this table. We both walk into, I remember we walked into this really nice bathroom at this hotel, like the kind that have like cloth to dry your hands. And we both pee in silence. We go to the sinks, washing our hands and like simultaneously we look at you like, what the fuck are you doing? And then we just die laughing because it's like clearly. Yeah. So we were like, all right, we got to find a middle ground here. I was like, you got to give me something. Yeah. You can't read these like yeah, robots. Give me a little bit more And he's like, voice. I don't want to be racist. I'm like, I don't want to be racist. I'm just trying to. And so we went in and then we read them to best of our ability, but they were not. Th- and I, I feel bad because I don't think Jamie will ever hear this, but they weren't good scripts. They were bad. Like, and then we ended up going down to Miami to shoot. So to save money, they decided, all right, we're going to shoot all of these at once. Oh, no. So we need to shoot multiple endings. That's never a good sign. Like, when they're like, you know, guys, let's just speed up production on this yeah. 100% to kill all the birds. And it was like a choose-your-own-adventure where we would have like, oh, damn, she lo- he lost. And like, oh, yeah, he won. Like, And uh, it was like, what? And so I just fell into this like, I was just, I would wake up some mornings so depressed that I had this wonton container that like you get soup from the Chinese restaurant yeah. and I just fill it with like gin and tonic <laughs> first thing in the morning. That sounds so depressing. Yeah, I guess like even this, I was like, what's, I don't want to go back to my kitchen. And uh, like, and so finally it just came to a point where I was like, you know, cause it's really hard. Like in my twenties, I was kind of a star in my circle of friends. Sure. I was right. traveling. I'd also was doing motorcycle racing and like I had cool jobs. Like I, like my, it seemed like my aspirations were just to impress every thirteen-year-old boy in America. <laughs> and then now I was uh, coming on thirty, and I was nothing. Like I had nothing, and I was like, I have to go to Los Angeles. Like I have to start over, and like I have to accept my station. And it was like in in a, it was an ego thing because like there's a part of you that's just like, no, I'm screw yeah, it, I'm somebody. Nobody wants yeah. to start over, and no one wants to also say like, I am at zero. Like yeah. I, I, nothing I've done matters. And you know what you learn as you go on is that's always true. To you get like some point, some magic point that we see. But most of it's it's like if you go into any room thinking anything you've done matters, you're probably not going to be hungry enough to impress the people you're in front of. Yeah. And uh, and so yeah, I came out here, and I even at that point had a couple contacts from Thunderbox, and I actually worked on another show that was like equally humiliating, where it was an FX pilot called What's It Feel Like. And it was based on this Esquire magazine articles where, like, what's it feel like to get bit by a shark? What's it feel <laughs> Always like? a great start to a yeah. show as well. Yeah, yeah. like, it's like, oh, This show terrible. is based off of a magazine article. <laughs> this guy. Let's pitch it. And, uh, and we're going to make it cinematic. It's like, and I was like, all right, you know what? I'll take any job. Yeah. And so we, the execs wanted, like, 30 possibilities. And I remember, at, I, we put 30, and, like, the last line, and I just regret this so much, I put... What's it feel like to be well endowed? Almost as a joke, like because I had all these cool ones. Like, what's yeah. it feel like to be a black ops? What's it like? What's it feel like to be a spy? And <laughs> those fuckers picked. What's it feel like to be of, well endowed? Of course, I know. And looking back, of course, of course, <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, if you pitch that to like Spike TV or anything like that, that's why like the shows like A Thousand Ways to Die and, yeah. and all those shows exist because people are like. And like Guy Code and all those shows because people are like, yeah, I want to watch that. And at that time, remember, this is like 2003, four. FX was Spike. Like it was before oh, yeah. the Shield. Like these shows were about, like, in fact, these shows were just about to bubble up and change their identity. Yeah. They were doing a lot of like bro-y, edgy mm-hmm. stuff. And so now I was like writer producer. So I had to go find guys with big dicks. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was What's like, the casting uh, process for that? Well, I, uh, 
I, <laughs> this is, this is actually what, this is a pretty amazing story. So I was driving cross country and talking to my now writing partner, JP, uh, JP. And, uh, I'm like, dude, I don't know what to do. Like, do I go to a porn place? I mean, what do I just go around saying, you know, even the big dick. And then he said, Oh, I know a guy with the big dick. <laughs> I was like, and he told me this story and I'm going to protect the name. I got to change some details, but, uh, basically the story was when he was a kid his parents would make him hang out with these other two brothers. Him and his brother Andy would hang sure. out with the other two brothers because they were friends with the parents. Yeah. And these kids were weird. <laughs> and um, one of the games they would play was called Pee in a Rag, where basically just the older brother would pee in a rag and then throw it at you and you would run for your life. Like that was the, <laughs> the hell they were walking into. when Be- they were Before Game Boys here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also they had this thing called Hot Dog in a Roll. They're like, hey, you want to see a trick called Hot Dog in a Roll? And the trick was they shut the lights off and when lights came on, both brothers were naked, and the one brother had his penis like long ways in the crack of the younger brother's butt, and then they jump up and down, and go hot dog and roll, hot dog and roll, oh, right? Like and, uh, and I so was... I'd heard these amazing stories, and I was like, oh my god! And he goes, remember the stories? I'm like, yeah. He goes, well, I mean, obviously the guy in the back had a huge dick. <laughs> he goes, he because he went all the way down, and, uh, oh and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I never even thought that that would be necessary. And he goes, you know, that guy's in a band now, and they play Burning Man, and they're crazy, and he's in L.A., and maybe you know, I I kind of know him. Maybe you can call him. I'm like, all right, but I'm driving. I'm like, call him today and just let him know that I'm calling. He's like, absolutely, bro. So next day I get back on the road. I call him from my headset. And I'm like, hey, I'm JP's friend. He's like, oh, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, so, as you know, I'm working on this crazy thing. And I heard you're pretty well endowed. And I go with this long. And he goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> JP had never called. Totally forgot to call. Oh. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, why would JP even tell you that? And I was like, I, I'm, like I'm just like, the reality of how crazy this all is. And so I'm like, oh, well, he said you were in a band. And you play Burning Man and crazy events. And he goes, he goes, yeah, I'm in a big band. We we just actually played the Special Olympics, or like, like he, they were doing these really grand, really sweet, nice yeah. Things, yeah. So I call JP and I'm like, "You motherfucker!" <laughs> you and dick. Of you course, even... yeah. He's like, he's like got this crazy like Frankenstein laugh. Like he just in my car, like, Ugh! and I'm like, "What the fuck are you laughing about?" Now this guy's gonna go talk to his parents and goes, "JP, remembered how big my dick was from when we were like nine years old." Like I was like, "Now you've got to explain the stuff." So he calls this guy and says, uh, yeah, sorry about that call. My, my dad actually reminded me of that. I was like, <laughs> this this is, yeah, it's so much worse, but he just didn't want any. You know, your, your little friend's got a big dick there. So. Yeah. And oh, man. So, uh, so yeah, like that was – and it is. It's like you talk about like sort of breaking th- – it's like you take those jobs like you do. Like if you're in that position where you just have to have product, improve yourself, and pay your bills, do whatever. Do it as the best you can. And – I mean, I did a ton of I did a ton of reality TV stuff, mm-hmm. um, and at the time, then JP and I started working together, and we we wrote scripts for like three three and a half years, script after script, and they were terrible, and it was like so humbling. Like it was like, oh, I thought I'd be great at this, yeah. and the first few we re- we had one script we wrote that was a kind of the game changer in the sense of like we've got to change everything. It was called Terminally Phil, and this is just a spec we wrote. And the idea was a fraternity was going to fool one of its pledges into thinking he had terminal disease so they could stay on campus. <laughs> like, and it's like, it's just crazy. And like, we were both like, yeah, that'll sell. Cause that was the thing that was like, that'll right, yeah, sell. What's, yeah. What's going to sell? What's, what's going to sell? Get us a paycheck. And instead of just like, what do you love? And yeah. so we wrote this script and then we, we read it out loud to each other. At, I was living in Culver City. And there was this point where there was a kid in the script named Hawk, nicknamed Hawkins. <laughs> who is a quadriplegic, but like a real smart ass. And 
I, we just do this tonal shift where the whole movie's bananas weird, <laughs> and then he dies. And so we're just like, we have this scene where we're reading it out loud, and like this, like, he's sort of like, his little hand is in the frat brother's hand, and then, and I remember it was just like, and then Hawking dies. And we look at each other, and we break into a fit of like laughter and despair. Like, and it's the only time it's ever happened where we were laughing so hard at how we just could see ourselves from space right. and how absurd this all was. And I remember I'll be on the ground, but like at the same time, I was like, my life is over. Like I was laughing so hard, and yet I knew it was like, it's over. And at that point, we changed a lot of stuff. I mean, writers write differently together. Um, I don't know if you guys write together yeah. or not. Or yeah, every writing team has their own chemistry. And, and you've got to ask those questions. Yeah. yeah. And for us, we were both two big personalities. And when we wrote in a room together, it became this like dick swinging contest. Like this is a funnier line. This is bo- this yeah. w- this would be better. So then you start heightening on each other, and you get a script that doesn't make any sense. So we started writing apart. We would talk on the phone and outline, and then he would write a draft or a first act, and I would write the next draft. Mm-hmm. And that way, we were able to keep our own voices. And add to each other, and but even then, a process of years of fighting and like, wait, well, you know, and learning to be sort of uh, generous and also hold on to your ideas and put the story first and not get it. And so, you know, it took us a while, and finally, we wrote a script called uh, Kamikaze Love, um, and that started really organically. JP just had this story from New York where he was working at this restaurant, and the bartender came up to him and was like, "This girl at the bar just told me she's a sex slave, a sex worker." And uh, she asked me to help her, and she's with this scary guy, and I didn't know what to do. And so I guess the guy comes back, and they leave. And it was like made a real impression on him, like, oh, my God, can you imagine? And yeah. so we were like, that's a cool way to st- – that's how it all started. We're just like, we think that's cool. And then from that, we sort of flipped it, like, what if the bartender helped her? And then we ended up writing the script, and just – we. We were really influenced at the time by Kung Fu Hustle. We just loved that movie. Yeah, we just were like, movie. Yeah, we're just like, it's so fun and free, and like it felt like – they weren't boxed in like we felt boxed in. And we ended up selling that script to Sony Screen Gems and, and then got on something called The Blacklist, which is this list of unproduced scripts. So, you know, it's like in some ways, like, we're the best script no one made. <laughs> um, but th- being on that list and selling, selling it was enough to just get us a foot in the door. Right. Yeah. And then it was like we still had to work a bunch of other jobs, and so, but at least people would meet with us and we could try to pitch ourselves for projects and stuff like that. Right. But that took years, you know. Um, I think that's the thing, too. And, you know, Justin and I were talking, I think, before the broadcast started about, mm-hmm. you know, I do improv and I'm around a lot of 20-somethings and early 30s, and it's like five or six years in, then you can start asking some questions about if you're, am I doing this right? Like, yeah. if you're working hard, Five or six years is just you like putting like marbles in the in the like fuck you jar, you know. Like it's like yeah. until you fill that jar, like until they've beaten you down and like oh he's not or she's not going anywhere. There's really like you might be doing everything perfect. It just might, takes time. It just takes time for people. I mean, and we also have the disadvantage of we get this influx of assholes in town all the time, all the time. Every uh, talking shit. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. Da, da, da. And like. Like from like not that I side with like the producers and because they can you know they can be difficult too but imagine how much bullshit has been flung their way where they need to see you're not going anywhere. Yep. Yeah. So it's like that's just the way it is, you know. Yeah. Well, I'm getting some good advice here. Yeah. Uh, so so we've uh, we've covered uh, uh, a lot of good stuff. We have to wrap up pretty soon here. So uh, so basically, where you're at right now is. Um, 
you're you're pi- you're able to pitch now, basically. And and are you still working with uh, JP on scripts and stuff like that? Yeah, we early on we just realized like this was a good deal. It also helps. I mean, you guys know it's like pretty lonely and frustrating. Yeah. You know, beyond just creatively, I think if two people can learn to marry their voices, that you end up with some good product. Um, it's also good just to have someone to share frustration with. Mm-hmm. And uh, where we're at now is, you know, over the, I guess for seven, my goals have changed too. Like, I think I did have some um, allusions to like, gr- like, oh, I'm going to be multimillionaire. And I was like, you know what? That's just setting unfair standards for yourself. Mm-hmm. Can you pay your bills doing what you well, love? Yeah. And which that's, that's better than ni- like like seventy five percent or even more of America who just goes to their jobs, hates it, yeah. gets a paycheck, and then they go home, and then they have you know their freedom the last part of the day. But they're working for the weekend, exactly. Right? Let's lover boy with lover boy. <laughs> but it might even be more. Like it might be right. like ninety. Yeah, it could be ninety five percent. And uh, you know, like, can I make the WGA minimum every year so I have health insurance? Like, right. That's the kind stuff of stuff. Like that. And and I'm really involved in you know indie comedy and I run a show and I love to improvise and like can I do this without hampering like can I have this free creative freedom where I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. and then treat the other part like because it's a job you know I yeah. think screenwriters are more architects than really just writers oh yeah because you're you know you have to take in all this input you have to and like it's your job and if you're good at your job you do do it and you and you make people feel comfortable and you hit your deadline so. If I can, you know, and I've been lucky. I've gotten to work with a lot of, you know, even though, you know, it's frustrating because even at this point, I haven't had a movie go all the way. Like, I haven't had a movie go through principal photography and be on screens. And at one point, that was really hard. But at the same time, because the scripts I write keep getting good responses, mm-hmm. you know, I've been able to work with, like, Robert Zemeckis and, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Brett Ratner and Name Drop and Name Drop <laughs> and Name Drop. No, um, but well, the fact is... Well, it gives you the motivation to keep on going. You because know then I mean? I'm like, oh, I'm, I must be doing something right. That you are good and you're doing the right things and maybe that it's just not the right opportunity hasn't come your way yet. You're still going to be hungry to make that happen versus if you're not getting any feedback at all and you've never had even... It's a, it's so cool that uh, you even got your film like to the blacklist where it's like on that list where you're almost there and I'm sure like it'll happen eventually you know yeah and and also if I happen to be that writer that gets paid pretty well to work on scripts yeah. that float around and people still want to work with me that's enough mm-hmm. you know I, I always try to make a script as good as I can and I'll always put my heart into it but. You're not defined, you know, um, no one's on their deathbed, like, being like, surround me by my DVDs. Right. <laughs> Just, you know, if you can, like you said, do something you love and be creative and, and embrace the process. Embrace the process that, other vo- that you're going to make other things work that you might not be your first choice. And, you know, go into meetings with enthusiasm. That's another thing. I, I see a lot of writers go into meetings like writers. Like, they hear an idea and they're like, here's what's wrong with that. <laughs> like, like, no. That producer option that material. You love it. Yeah. yeah. First thing out of your mouth is like, oh man, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> we had a a meeting early on that was a real game changer. It was two young execs who've gone on to do great things, and they had a small discretionary budget where they could buy comic books, and they bought two terrible comic books, and we just clowned on those. Like, so it's because they were younger than these guys were younger than us. Yeah. And they told us these like w- one was a. The one that was really bad was it was about a space prison, and the space prison had all these intergalactic prisoners, but they also had chosen to house an in, impenetrable spacesuit <laughs> weapon in the prison, like right off the bat. It's like terrible choice, guys. Yeah. There's a bunch. So of course, a guy 
breaks in, steals this suit, and then he goes, flies back to Earth because he's an Earthling. And he gets to Earth, and it's a global space war. Like, aliens have attacked Earth. And then we're like, okay. And then the guy goes, that's not the good part. We're like, wait, there can't be another buy in here. <laughs> and he goes, it's modern day, but the guy in the spacesuit. He's a 16th century Viking. We're like, <laughs> oh, and we were like, goodness. why would you do that? That seems like too much. And he goes, well, just imagine how funny it'll be. Like, he's got to rent an apartment, get a job. We're like, no, he's not. There's a space war going on. <laughs> yeah. But that was, instead of being like, oh, I like this idea of mixing time and space and, you know, doing a period piece. And right. like, instead of like saying all these things I liked and then go, but you know what might be a cool in here? Like, Validate the project and then move forward. All yeah. we did is clown on it, <laughs> shoot it down. Yeah. yeah, and um, and it was like we walked out of there, and and rightfully so, they weren't like, well, I don't want to work with those guys. They think our ideas are bad. Yeah, you know. So there's just been a lot of those lessons along the way, and just like, just love it. Just love that we're here, man. We're in Hollywood. We get to work on movies or TV shows. It's great. Yeah, you know, bring that enthusiasm everywhere. And uh, I actually think that that's a great way to end the podcast. I'd yeah. rather end it there uh, on, with positive us, note. On, on a positive note. Uh, we've nah. already talked about some of the. Uh, I think the Hollywood bitch slap was the firing on. <laughs> uh, yeah, on they the were end. all basically yeah, all yeah. my stories were Hollywood bitch slaps. <laughs> so, uh, dude, Chad, we've had an awesome uh, time having you. Thanks so much for coming by. Oh, now. my pleasure, guys. Thanks. And um, where can people find you uh, online, like uh, Twitter, Facebook, any of the social? Media uh, stuff? Yeah, you know, my sort of my passion project right now is a. A two-man improv team called Jetso. Mm-hmm. That's J E T Z O, and sort of we—it's me and a guy named Juzo Ishida, and we perform in—he performs in Japanese because he's Japanese national. I perform in Japanese gibberish, and we do like a, a mix of clown and improv. And we're all all over town. We perform like maybe six to ten times a month, and that's at Jetso Improv on Facebook. So okay, it's a fun show, and uh, that would be my pitch. All right, check out Jetso Improv, guys, and uh, uh, Chad uh, Damiani. I appreciate uh, you coming by, and uh, I'm glad uh, uh, we've gotten to know each other on uh, even a better level than me yelling at audience members. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so Uh, much, Best of luck. Continued success, man. Thanks.